technology is an amazing thing in terms of transparency. And when we use it to our best advantage with these freelancers, anything is absolutely possible and you can protect yourself. There's a revolution taking place right now. Talent and intelligence are equally distributed throughout the world, but opportunity is not. The talent economy, the idea that at the center of work is the talent, is the individual. Companies today face a global war for talent, and high-skilled talent is demanding flexibility around the way they work and the way they live. This podcast brings together thought leaders, staffing experts, and top freelancers to talk about the evolving nature of work and how companies can navigate these changes to remain competitive, drive innovation, and ensure success. Welcome to the Talent Economy Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Estes. My guest today is Kara Bedford, the Director of Strategic Marketing for CompuVision. Kara takes a notion of on-demand work to a whole new level. Through hiring remote freelancers, Kara has figured out the secret sauce to making the impossible, well, possible. My name is Kara Bedford. I'm the Director of Marketing at CompuVision. CompuVision is an IT management and consulting company that leverages disruptive technology innovations for small, medium, and large businesses now and into the future. I'm also the managing editor of a national magazine called Disruption Magazine Canada and a product owner of a product called Taskify. That's a lot of exciting things. I I was fortunate enough to be at not only the launch of Taskify, which we'll get into shortly, but I was featured in Disruption Magazine in Canada. And that was was such an honor. And and I want to talk about how you created it and just a lot of fun things. but, But first, let's hear about your career journey, because you're passionate about marketing, you're good at marketing, but tell me how you got started. Back in the day when I started in marketing, which was over 12 years ago now, I actually worked for a greenhouse. Lo and behold, I got asked to step into a marketing director's role that had somebody there for a really long time. It's a family-run business, and so Like they had no staff attrition. Like everybody was either born and started working in the greenhouse from, you know, the time they could walk or they were married into the family. And so I was really lucky that I got this opportunity to work on a business that had been around for 50 years and figure out a new way to innovate their marketing that at the time was becoming a little bit stale. But at the time I was asked, I was young. I had never really done a ton of marketing outside of a business that I was running. Uh, We were doing video production at the time and that's how I had got connected. We got hired on a video production job for them. I was so lucky that I had this mentoring from this company that had this amazing brand in our local community that everybody knew and loved already and just really wanted to see what kind of the future would hold for them. And I literally marketed dirt. Like... (laughs) So there's a greenhouse, right? We were marketing dirt and plants and landscaping needs. And I will tell you, there are actually only nine ways you can use the word dirt in different ways and different campaigns. Like there are no more than nine <laughs> ways you can market dirt. So it was just, you know, a really, really interesting experiment for me in terms of just growth and knowledge and figuring out how to make something that is as un- exciting as dirt in the ground to be something that people would want to buy. I would imagine that if anybody could market dirt, it would be Kara Bedford. That's so kind.
My experience was was similar to yours, but it, but in technology where there were a, there was a lot of value in the companies and people that I worked for that taught me structure that I w- don't think I would have gotten any other way. When you hire new people or, or work with new people, even in the marketing team at CompuVision, how do you teach them to balance that respecting of experience and leaning in and being curious about experience versus, you know, I think we all were at a place in our career once where we know everything and everything needs to be new and that's old and, and there's value in, in sort of that transformation and learning. What is the advice that you give people? So I'm in a really unique position that I actually don't have anybody physically working under me. My entire marketing team for this national company sits across the world and they are all in the gig economy or talent economy, however you want to position that. But they all sit in different places and work and have experiences with different clients. The reason why I have continued down that kind of non-traditional hiring path is just for that whole piece I just said. They have non-traditional experiences that lend themselves to the marketing and style and voice in what I'm trying to do. And their diversity experiences or adaptable experiences for project management and productivity and really anticipating CompuVision's needs before I even sometimes come up with an idea is why I continue to go down that route of hiring. I have a core group of 12 that literally we follow the sun. They sit in every time zone imaginable. So if at you know three in the morning, I'm still working and I need to pass something off and go to sleep, it can literally be passed off and follow that sun so that when I wake up, an entire day of productivity has already been done while I've been sleeping. Do you think that if you hadn't found distributed teams and freelancers and you were actually looking at resumes, let's just pretend for a minute that these folks came with their their resume. I think people still come with printed resumes somewhere, but they came with their resume and, and you hadn't had this mindset shift in, hey, I want to work in this new way. Do you think you would have hired them? That's such a a bit of a loaded question because of where I sit. Like I live in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. I'm not going to be able to find many people here that are graphic designers that have worked for Fortune 500 companies that I really wanted CompuVision's brand to emulate. Like I look at people that have worked for, you know, Procter & Gamble and Microsoft and IBM. And these these are the portfolios that they're able to bring to me to really differentiate themselves from my local market. And not that my local market isn't good, but they are really boxed into this mentality that they are the only fish in this pond and they charge kind of whatever they want. And when locals start to think global, they really get to better themselves in terms of the output that they get to produce. And I have had some freelancers that I've worked with locally that I've put onto platforms or have kind of come on this journey with me that are so grateful and thankful to me because their portfolios have exploded. They have gotten insights and different types of jobs that they would have never had access to before. And so while I'm growing my journey by using this type of talent hiring, so are they. And so if they were to come with me with their resumes, with that type of portfolio, hands down, of course I would have hired them. I just don't think I would have had access to them the way now I have access to them. 
That's why we named the, the podcast The Talent Economy, because when you walk into this world and start engaging with freelancers and, and hiring freelancers and really building global distributed teams, the people that are just in the line to, to choose from bring such diversity. And sometimes I guess I was trying to get at the question of sometimes it's unconventional. I would say that, that you and I share a, an idea that the more unconventional sometimes the better, and I'm willing to, to take a risk which isn't even a risk anymore, on somebody who, hey, brings a set of diverse thinking to a project, which usually, in my experience, pays off in ways that I can't even imagine as we get into it. About anticipation of needs, I cannot put that in any more clear words than that. Especially right now, like our company is going through a new branding exercise where the legacy brand, we're just kind of updating slogans and we're updating departmental structures because we're growing, right? And so right now, when I last looked, I had 112 projects open that I'm project managing throughout different platforms. And so my team has to really honestly be two or three steps ahead of me in terms of how much they know about A, what I'm going to ask, B, what I expect in in my output, and C, the actual company need of whatever that ask is. And so I really believe that the success of me having the last two years to kind of groom this team and, you know, two years in business isn't, isn't that long. And so for me to have this team completely, honestly, some days they know this brand better than I do because they're challenging me and we're brainstorming together. That is a huge benefit that I don't, if that was ever taken away, I don't think I could function. Like, I don't know how to work another way anymore. Let's go back two years, because this is a story I, you know, Ryan, the CEO of CompuVision, is a disruptor. He pushes everyone to try new things and think differently. That's one of the reasons that I'm not only inspired by you, but the, the greater work that CompuVision is doing. So two years ago, you were coming back from maternity leave. Tell the audience that story, because I think it's really interesting. You didn't always have this mindset. This was, it was something that was introduced to you. It felt forced at the time, I'm not going to lie, but... In an interesting way. Okay. The last thing I did before my son was born, literally it was a couple days before he was born. So the last thing I did was write the press release that the company I was working for was being acquired by CompuVision. And so I was working in the IT space. The company had had sold to CompuVision because in Canada we get a year. So I literally wrote this press release and walked out the door and said, see you later. I'll see you in a year and knew I was going to a company that had never had internal marketing. They had always used agencies or outsourced their marketing to the local talent market. They had never really looked at it in terms of having a, a seat at the table for, for their marketing. Where I was really lucky is Ryan Gatsby, who is the CEO of CompuVision, is a true visionary. I am so honored that our paths and lives have crossed but he said, Kara, I want this, I want you to build me this marketing that I know you're capable of just upon us meeting a few times and kind of honestly just bullshitting about what I thought the brand could be. He said, I, I want you to do this, but I have no budget and no resources for you. So you have to do this with nothing. And you cannot hire, you kind of have to figure it out. You're going to have to prove that this company needs internal marketing. Knowing you the way I do, that seems like a challenge. It's almost like a layup that he was doing. There's no way that you would back down from that. No, exactly. And I heard this 
you know, I had nothing to lose. I was coming back from that leave and um, I just, I really, honestly, I had nothing to lose. It was just, let's see how we could maybe do this. And so, you know, I kind of came back slowly and to come back slowly, I, I really needed, I needed someone that would be able to be called upon at four in the morning when baby was sleeping. Right. Cause my, my time and my pattern was completely different from a normal traditional workday at that point. So how do I monopolize on those 24 hours in a day? Cause we don't get any more. At first he showed me uh, like a 99 designs and then he showed me Upwork and then he showed me a couple of the other platforms that he had used previously and, you know, had okay results, but, you know, he was kind of doing it off the side of his desk. And he said, what do you think of maybe trying to run some projects through this and see where it goes? And so that is when the door opened for me to this economy, this big economy. And it was not an easy boulder to push up that hill at first. I didn't know where to start. That's the one thing that I always try to tell people because I think when people hear maybe myself or you speak, they don't see all of the the early mornings, the projects that didn't work, the fact that we had to reskill ourselves in a lot of ways. Like I had to go learn a completely different way of working. I couldn't take the way I worked in the past and say, well, everybody needs to change to me because if, if you're at a traditional company and you come in as the manager, well, everything kind of molds around you. And in this world, you need to mold around this new way of working. Yeah, and you know what was a big shift for me was when I took my day and I wrote it out based on tasks or skills. So I took my day and instead of saying, I need to get a pull-up banner made, I broke it out to say, okay, I need to write the copy for that pull-up banner. I need a designer and then I need to get it to a printer. Like I broke it into this is the end result and these are the three or four things that need to get done to get that end result. That was a very differentiating move for my brain. It took a, a long time to happen. And for me, the biggest success we had was when we needed this PowerPoint done for this presentation. And I had been using this gig economy model now for a year. So I was getting really good at it. And Ryan and I, you know, we, we had gone through the year of marketing and we had saved 70% on that budget that they had spent previously by, by using local economy. But we were able to outproduce by 4X that first year. So we had 4X productivity at 70% savings, um, which was a crazy ratio to, to go through. And Trust me, we redid that math four or five times because no one believed it. I think you said earlier, it wasn't only local economy, it was using agencies. And so there was a double switch. You went to the freelance market and engaged with freelancers versus agencies and the, and the local market. Because everybody goes, oh, you could do that. You could save some money. You can engage with freelancers. But agencies represent quality. And there's this other thing called freelancers are on demand that represents less quality if you want to do that. I think the money saving, while that was awesome, it wasn't our motivating factor. Our motivating factor was to get stuff done. We wanted to actually have a high producing, high performing marketing department that worked with sales and was able to be adaptable to the needs of the company that moved so fast. Like technology moves so fast. And there's a saying, it moves 
it's moving quicker than it ever has before and as slow as it ever will again. So if you wake up tomorrow and you feel like it was fast, you know, the day before, it's just continually increasing. So did the marketing. Like it needs to move at that, you know, super speed. And the only way we we were able to do that is by looking at this different type of talent hiring. What was really interesting in those stats, and it doesn't get published a lot, is our wait times. This is why we were able to do 4X, is a project for a reference guide for our our new brand at that point was going to take six weeks with the agency. I wanted it done in like five days. You know, it shouldn't have been that big of a deal. I find myself getting impatient even after five days. Like as you start doing this and, and the the turnaround times and the wait times start going down, everything is convenient and instant, which is how society is going these days. Exactly. And it's frictionless. So the fact that I would have to pick up a phone on your business day hours and be convenient to you, Mr. and Mrs. Agency, I don't know how I worked that way before because now I put it out on a platform and 400 people say, yep, I got you. When do you want it done? Hey, can you get it done in the next few hours? Yeah, I have that availability. It is such a different, a different way of thinking about time and the time saving. And I think that's where like time and productivity is, is the change that people just don't believe that that's true. And so my biggest thing is, you know, try it. Try it with something small. You know, put a $50 job on one of these platforms, like something tiny, you need a blog written or need your resume updated or like just something where you need a cover letter or just, you know, something tiny that has no risk and see where it goes. People will go and say, oh, well, I, you know, I don't do $100, $50 jobs. I do, you know, big $100,000, $200,000 jobs. And I want to just build on what you were saying is that when you're starting to retrain yourself how to work, those blog post or a little dev project or some design work, like all of those things are, are the training. Like we're moving into a world where I think you're not going to be sitting watching a bunch of training videos. You're going to learn by doing. And that's for me. And I think for yourself and you know, the times we've talked, we trained ourselves by doing a bunch of projects and failing, maybe trying to save money where we should have gone for the quality or, or not learning how to communicate. What are some of the failures? Like over that time, the first year, like when you were trying to get going, you were building your network. Because right now I imagine you have a network of 12 people that you've spent a lot of time. They have the context. I have 12 full time and then I have 35 that we kind of scale up and scale down as, as we need it. People forget that these are relationships. <laughs> like the, the freelancers that I work with, I have personal relationships with. It's not all task. And if you miss a task or mess up, like you want to build that community or or those connections. Let's talk about some times where it didn't work out and what you learned. Yeah. Failures failures are good. Um, (laughs) uh, Being Canadian, you know, we're pretty open and transparent about those things and can laugh it off and say sorry and call it, call it a day. But this is another, a mindset shift is we're just so afraid to fail that we just don't even try. And so, you know, with this, it's not going to be perfect on every job. And just as you said, sometimes you'll sacrifice money for quality or vice versa. And it wasn't the right project to do that on. I'm going to tell you about a horrible, horrible job and I will never forget it. I needed somebody to help me build a Power BI dashboard. And and if you don't know what Power BI is, it's a Microsoft product 
that is basically a smart business intelligent platform that puts all of your data into one single pane of glass. And I wanted them to to build me one for my freelancers so I could look at work diaries and, and different productivity models and see how I could even make this even more productive by by looking at where I wasn't or needed or where I was needed depending on freelancer usage. And so kind of came up with this idea to put it on Power BI, put it up to the to the platform, had a lot of really great interest, hired somebody and started down and I created different project milestones that they needed to hit. They hit the first one. It was awesome. And then they went into the second milestone. And all of a sudden now stuff had happened in their life. Whether that's true or not, I don't know. Somebody died and then they were sick. And then it just kept getting longer and longer and longer and longer. And on my end, I didn't project manage it as I probably should have at the beginning because I didn't know what that meant. Like I didn't know what the appropriate amount of like getting on their case project manage was or how much you leave them be or what different types of services you can use. Like there's different things that they could take a screenshot of their, of their screen every 10 minutes. Like there's just, there's a bunch of different productivity hacks that you can use that would protect you from this that at the beginning, I just didn't know about. It completely went sideways. Like freelancers stopped responding. We had already paid them a little bit of money. And um, it just did not work. I had the same experience a number of times. And one of the things that I've been really diligent about was, hey, these are the milestones. And what happens if? Because when you're working with somebody on demand, life happens. And you are putting, you know, all of your eggs in one basket. And and sometimes what you pay for in an agency is a large group of people. So you have redundancy of coverage. And so I'm, I've really built into my system, at least, a place where there's a repository for all the work. I think the, another thing you said that was important is the idea of milestones. And so if you write the job description or the project description really well up front, you collect the work and the milestones are solid, any expert could come in, read the description, look at the milestone and kind of jump in on the milestones. But I've, I've found myself being dragged along for long periods of time. I found that solving part of that, at least over time, like I've been through it three or four times. It's setting the expectation up front. That's right. And I actually say now with everybody is if you were to get hit by a bus tomorrow, I know that's so cryptic, but I say this, like if you were get to get hit by a bus tomorrow, how would this be able to continue? What are the parameters that you have put in place? Larger, more veteran freelance workers or talent workers, they have a backup. They actually do. It'll be another freelancer that they'll pull in or they just won't, unless you ask them, they don't go, oh yeah, this guy on this profile is my backup. And so now you're asking this and you've just expanded your quality of work pool by two people or three people or four people, depending on how many that they're coordinating with. You have to remember they're running their lives like a business. So a lot of the ones that have been on these types of platforms a long time actually have figured this out. And if you ask them, they'll tell you, oh, actually, yeah, this guy over here, check his profile out. You know, when I'm sick or my kid's crying or whatever, he helps me complete for, yeah, I'm completing this for you, start to finish. But should something happen, this is where the files live. This is my cloud that I have your folder in. They've figured it out. Technology is an amazing thing in terms of transparency. 
And when we use it to our best advantage with these freelancers, anything is absolutely possible and you can protect yourself. Upwork just launched their their agencies and, and they're they're reacting to the idea that there are a lot of freelancers that are acting like many agencies. You know, they, they are communities of people all around the world who are coming together to provide that business level continuity that larger companies are, are looking for. And so I think we're, as the industry involves, as, as on-demand grows, as companies are more willing to work with remote people, so is the talent. The talent's saying, hey, this is what it, it requires to get this level of work and this quality of work. And they're building that in as well. You made a comment that bidding isn't always the best practice. What do you mean by that? I hate that term bidding for work. Like I actually despise that ideal. Like Fiverr and Nyan Designs, they put it out on a platform and everyone bids and normally the lowest bidder gets it. Remember that I'm looking at this not, and I do use it personally, but I'm talking about it building it within a company, building, you know, a scalable workforce department that scales throughout your organization so that you don't just have bums warming chairs when you need them. You can turn on and turn off talent when you need it as a business. And, and I think we need to look at it as that, that big of a picture when we're, when we're discussing these things and if that would work for your business or not, right? And so when I talk about bidding, I actually don't look at the prices first. What I look for is who's the most communicative, who is going to actually consult with me and brainstorm with me and collaborate with me to get this project done because I have ideas and they have ideas and my idea isn't better than their idea, but I want, I want their expertise because I'm coming to that platform or that job needing a skill that I don't have or I'm not the best at. So I want them to help me guide that project. For me, there's a ton of upfront communication that has to happen. And then once you've done that upfront communication, it's amazing how smooth the rest of that job goes. When I find someone who is curious about the expectations because they want to deliver, they want to make sure they fully understand the project. You know, they want to understand what the deliverable is because it's their rating, it's their reputation. And so when people are curious and start asking good questions and, and force me to think through what exactly I'm looking for, I think that's a, it's, it's a way better indicator of success than price for sure. Yeah, I look for three things. I look for, I look for, are they strategic planning? So when they're communicating, are they breaking things into tangible goals that you can look at their results and successes and scheduling those? Like for me, I, I have to project manage hundreds of projects. And so when they can say, you know, on December 9th at 11 a.m., I need your feedback for this and they hit that, we're running. The next thing is support. Should something change in the scope or something change in terms of deadlines or requirements, I need them to be adaptable enough to support me through it and we'll come out with a fair outcome. But I need them to not shy away from some challenging conversations when their scope changes because again technology moves fast and there's going to be scope changes the next thing is them being three steps ahead of my needs i need them to anticipate my needs i need them to be three steps ahead of me because a lot of the time they are that expert that i am looking to for guidance and support and so if they can make sure that they are working ahead of me so when i'm getting them stuff they're inserting it or 
just copy editing and they're still moving, they're not waiting on me, then that is the biggest piece for me that's going to make me successful. And when they've done those kind of three things up front, because a lot of that can be done in upfront communication before I've hired them, the projects go very, very smooth. And people say, oh, it's a lot of work to project manage these freelancers. I have to give them everything. Yes, you have to give them everything once. The second time that they're going to do something with that brand, they know it now. The third time it's going to get be even more seamless and they're going to already know what you're going to ask them and how you want it broken down. One thing that I found is when we're reaching out, because I work for a fully distributed company and that has no offices, so there is no choice and we work with a ton of freelancers. And when the team writes something down, like let's say your brand requirements, you have to write it in a way to articulate it to a number of different people. The core of what you're communicating is just a better product so that anybody can get context and start participating and working with you. A lot of times those things are not written down, even at big companies. You know, they're just not written down. And so if if a new hire starts, they have to go to like 50 meetings to figure out basic things that when you're working in this way are already written down because you have to. You have to do the thinking and, and providing context as people jump on the projects. My freelancers can name every one of my, my core values. They can name my positioning statements. They can name the new slogans, the last year's slogans, and the slogans before that that didn't make the cut. They are literally as informed about this company as I am. And if I were to be hit by a bus tomorrow, they could run this marketing department. That is how empowered they are. Let's hope that doesn't happen. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But do you know what I mean? Like when I ask myself the same thing, is it processed out? Are we planning and being strategic? Yes. And just because this team doesn't sit in a room next to me doesn't mean that they are not knowledgeable, capable adults of completing a project. That was one of the things that I think we all forget, or the people who don't work in this way forget, I would say, is that these are experts who take pride in their work, who work in this way largely by choice, and come with a diverse set of experience that you're not going to get any other way. Great advice. Thank you. I want to get to my favorite part of the show because our time is coming to an end. It's called the rapid fire round. I'm going to ask you five questions. You say what comes to your mind. And then you get to ask me any two questions. What's one thing about you that's not on your LinkedIn profile? I sing in a four-part barbershop quartet. I wouldn't have guessed that one. If you could trade lives with anyone for one day, who would it be and why? Idina Menzel, just because I just watched Frozen with my child. And I would love to know what her creative process and world is before she's like taking on roles and projects in terms of like Broadway and her creativity process. If you were stranded on a tropical island, what two things would you want with you? Internet, my laptop or a smartphone. (laughs) What book or movie has inspired you the most over the past year? So Bold by the Singularity University team, Peter Diamandis, is one of the best books I've, I've read this year and helping me get through that kind of mindset shift that's the really needed to take businesses in, in not only this, you know, gig economy conversation, but growth and, and productivity conversation. I'm going to download it right after this conversation. And the last question, which I think is a layup for you, but I, I never know because people answer it differently. Which is more important, 
radical curiosity or having attention to detail? Oh, radical curiosity. That is by far one of the best things people can have. And I'm going to go back to a Ryan Vesby quote, my my leader, CEO of CompuVision. He's got a seven-year-old and he asks that seven-year-old every day since that kid's been born, what amazing questions did you ask today? And it's not about what did you do today. It's about what questions did you ask? And I'm using that now with my own child, but I actually end my day when I'm laying in bed thinking about that. What questions did I ask today? How curious was I? And that's how, you know, for me, it's been a successful day or not. Wow. Thank you so much, Kara, for taking the time to to chat with me. I'm, I'm inspired by the work that you're doing, that Ryan's doing over at CompuVision and the advocacy that you're doing for the talent economy on-demand work. If somebody wants to learn more about CompuVision or get in touch with you personally and say, hey, I learned some things and I have some questions, what are the best ways to do that? We are all over social media. You can find us on Twitter and LinkedIn and, and Facebook. For me, Twitter is my number one world for social media. So I am at Y-E-G cloud. And then CompuVision is at CompuVision biz. Please also check out Disruption Magazine, you know, at Disruption Mag VA. We've got a lot of really cool stories and we talk a lot about a lot of the things we talked about on this podcast today and just kind of take it into uh, practical takeaways that you can implement. That's awesome. And And we'll make sure to have all the links in the show notes for all those that are interested. Kara, thank you so much and good luck with all of your work. Yeah, you too, Paul. Thanks for connecting. I'm your host, Paul Estes. Thank you for listening to the Talent Economy Podcast. Learn more about the future of work and the transformation of the staffing industry from those leading the conversation at staffing.com, where you can hear from experts, sign up for our weekly newsletter, and get access to the best industry research on the future of staffing. If you've enjoyed the conversation, we'd appreciate you rating us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, or just tell a friend about the show. Be sure to tune in next week for another episode of The Talent Economy.